The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. To get started, we did touch on this a little bit yesterday, the AUKUS Alliance, and I wanted to get a bit of an academic's uh, perspective on the whole situation and what we're seeing with the French fallout and uh, Scott Morrison leaving the country to go to those quad talks. On the line we've got Dr. Aidan Warren who we've had on the program many times before. He's from RMIT and uh, studies international relations. Aidan, good to have you back on the program once again. Good morning, how are you? Good, thank you. Well, just explain the situation with AUKUS. I suppose, when did you first become aware of this alliance? Because I was uh, reading the news late one night last week, I think it was Wednesday night, and they said how there was these deep talks going on and the opposition had been briefed, and I thought, this is never a good sign when you see this, and then woke up the next morning and saw that this alliance, AUKUS, had been founded, and I thought, well, that was a bit of an anti-climax given what I was mentally gearing myself up for the night before. Look, I was really taken aback. Also, I mean, I was told to, I did talk to a colleague in DC the day before, and they and he had heard whispers that there may be something developing. But again, he was also in the dark too, and and wasn't clear on exactly what was happening. And I was like yourself; I actually was, you know, saw that that you know opposition leaders being called the Canberra people going there quickly. That is never a good sign. So I had all sorts of things going around in my head in terms of something probably more probably thinking actually the worst, if anything, and I'm not even sure what I was thinking about. But again, I I had a whole range of things going through. So, yeah, I was like, you wake up next morning and then AUKUS was announced. Well, I was going through the sort of thought process of maybe it's about Afghanistan, maybe they're going to redeploy troops there or something. And then I thought, well, uh, Korea, and I saw some people on social media were speculating that it was Korea. So, uh, yeah, once I saw it was AUKUS, I thought, oh, well, that's a bit of a sigh of relief. And um, perhaps I didn't even preempt the reaction to AUKUS because I just read it and thought, well, that's a bit of an anti-climax and got on with my day. But then, of course, uh, in the meantime, some quarters have become quite outraged at it. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, I think it's a generational agreement, a generational shifter and pact. Um, it, it, it's creating all sorts of debates and dilemmas globally in terms of not just in terms of, you know, what to what extent is, is the nuclear component going to be applicable to these, these subs? What about the dip- diplomatic fallout with, with France? And really, what does it mean about, you know, creating this this pack in the context of China, given the fact that there are other things moving along in terms of trying to counter China or at least apply to China. So there's a whole range of things that have come out of this agreement. And also, you know, what, what other people have been saying is why, why is Britain even involved in this equation? Which of course I, well, I think that obviously Britain and, and many of the European state and many European states have also indicated in, at the G7 that, that the Indo-Pacific is on everyone's radar at the moment. But nonetheless, you know, people have been saying, what is Britain doing there? But um, nonetheless, look, there's a lot to take out of this. I'm still trying to unpack all the variations and debates and because it's not as black and white as what some may, may argue. Do we have a sense as to how it came about, as in which of the parties initiated it? Was it a Joe Biden idea or did it come from the US administration first and foremost or is it all still under wraps? 
Well, for me, I've been investigating that. I understand that being take, being eighteen months in the in the in the discussions, um, in in the forum, which which suggests to me, and you you know, this sounds again. I'm going to give Trump a swipe, but imagine if that was the the you had Trump, um, Johnson and Scomo doing that announcement the other day. That's what I've sort of said to a couple of alarmist people. It could have been so much worse, right? But um, so I, I think it does stem back to the Trump administration. Trump, of course. You know, one thing that Trump did was conscious of, even though he was quite erratic, was of course the freedom of navigations operations and and ratcheting those up in the context of the South China Sea, and and really was very conscious of of what China's what China's assertions were going to be in the context of the Belt Road Initiative, and of course more 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 in, in the context of the rolling out of five G, the all important five G or transition to six G, which have, and then of course there's the trade wars which are connected but sort of separate. But I, I, from my point of view, um, it does go back to the Trump administration. And really here we have, we have AUKUS. And it is really, there's a, the reverberations coming from it are still un, unraveling at the moment because it's not just about France, it's not just about the UK, it's not just about what are we trying to do, it's not just about the nuclear component. Also, South Korea are, are asking questions, other other actors in other states in the region are asking actors. So there's a whole range of um, reverberations coming out of this agreement that are still being un, un, unpacked, if you will. And France has obviously recalled its ambassadors uh, in those countries and I mean, that's just how you do it in diplomacy, isn't it? That's kind of the standard go-to act that says we're very disappointed in you. But how often does that happen, particularly for Australia, to have someone recall their ambassador against us? Well, this is very significant. I mean, in terms of France doing this in the context of the US, because they did it to the US also, we're going back hundreds of years. I mean, in the context of us, I mean, you know, we've had tensions, of course, over French testing in the South Pacific going back 20 or so years. But really, the relationship's been quite um, cohesive. But the, but the ramifications are significant in the sense that you, you have Australia blindsiding you know, a very strong ally in terms of France. It's a very prominent ally that is that is very significantly high up in, in terms of the EU, which we're, of course, negotiating, the, 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 about to negotiate the 12th round of a free trade agreement with the EU. So there's a whole range of things. But you only have to look at the rhetoric coming from France in terms of they're saying things as lies and treason. They're, they're talking about it being an intentional breach of trust. Um, they're using all sorts of words that, you know, in terms of diplomacy... And, and, you know, they're, they're also saying duplicity, contempt and lies. These and clumsy and ag- adequate and un-Australian. These sort of words, you don't just bandy around in terms of the international game of international diplomacy. And so uh, that, that to me says it all. So what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks is we're going to send our trade minister over to France, I believe, and we're going to try and negotiate um, our, our way out of there, hopefully, or at least try and placate as best we can, the French. Um, but we also need to remember too that, you know, um, you know, there's a presidential prime minister, ele- prime ministerial election coming up for Macron in next April. So he's also wanting to save face too. So there's a range of things going on in this fallout and reverberations. And, and also there's the economic component. I could talk quite a while on this topic, as you can tell. Mm. Uh, just with that presidential election aspect in France, how much of that sort of bluster, if you like, or the rhetoric that you're talking about is because of that election and how much of it is genuine contempt for what's happened here? 
Look, I mean, it's there's an economic component, as I alluded to. You know, you've got a $90 billion deal scrapped. You, you've got the way it's gone about with the, with the lack of consultation. Remember, the French also think, though, and also rightly so, that they have a very strong bilateral relationship with the U.S., um, so, you know, th- there's a lot to, there's, the fallout is significant. Um, and the potential for economic, you know, the, in linking into the, the free trade agreements that's been negotiated in terms of, because France, the French will, you would argue, will, will counter this. Um, in terms of, you know, you may be thwarting the free trade agreement or going very hard or harder on its protectionist measures in terms of agriculture and so forth. But look, in terms of the presidential election, you know, this, you know, foreign policy still matters. And this does look like, a, you know, from, from a French perspective, a, you know, a slap in the face and also, you know, quite disrespectful from their point of view. Now, obviously, um, Scott Morrison is, is, and, and really, and, and, um, so forth, are all saying, well, hang on, we are doing this about our national security. We are shifting this because there's been a shift in regional dynamics going back to, you know, the last 10 years, but since we signed that deal in 2016. So we have to change course to reflect the change in regional dynamics. Now, Quad, explain what that is, because that's where the Prime Minister is at the moment, I believe, and that's why Barnaby Joyce is the acting Prime Minister. Um, I was actually just looking it up last night because I hadn't really heard of it before, to be honest. Look, it's, uh, it's, garn- it's garnering significant traction. It's part of the equation. Remember, we have been talking about, um, I, I don't like to say countering, or, or at least sort of coming up with instruments to to politically, diplomatically, and in this, in, in terms of AUKUS, uh, militarily uh, adjust to, the, to China's trajectory in the region. But you have ANZUS, you have OSMIN, you have ASEAN, you have the Five Eyes. AUKUS to me is connected to that, that, hemming, that hemming ring, hemming those things together. And the Quad is also part of the equation because it involves the United States, India, Japan, and of course us. Now, India is the world's biggest democracy. They're very central and very important in terms of this, you know, managing this China trajectory, if you will, the United States, Japan, of course, and us, as I've alluded to now. It started, you know, way back in 2007. Um, it was let go of by Rudd temporarily and even Gillard and then reconvened in 2017 to reflect again the changing dynamics of the region. You know, China's trajectory in the South China Sea, East China Sea, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, Cambodia, and so forth. And, um, you know, really kind of, uh, how do I say this, um, you know, made other states quite conscious of what is going on. And therefore, you see the quad becoming more emboldened, becoming more significant. And, and even the re- reflection of the quad as a grouping is best illustrated in the fact that Biden met the quad before he even met NATO or the EU. You know, he met them and now he's obviously meeting them face to face now. So that says to me, given the fact that he came into power in January and we have, of course, August and we have this meeting, of course, happening in the next couple of days, illustrates to me the stocks and the quad and how that has really gone up in terms of charts, so to speak. So what are those other quad partners, uh, India and Japan, going to make of AUKUS? Well, that's again, that's another thing that again, there's so much discussion going on in, in terms of, like, you know, there's some states being jealous, some states being why, why Australia and not us, um, particularly in terms of the South Koreans. But in terms of the quad itself, look, look, they're probably thinking, hey, well, we thought that this was going to be 
potentially the, a more robust, um, you know, way in, in, in going forward in terms of Japan, because you do have the world's biggest democracy in terms of India, US, Japan, which is a quite formidable, and Australia, which is, of course, a rising middle power in terms of, you know, its positioning and significance, of course. So, so they've also come, there's been dialogue coming out of the Quad, by some Quad members and also Quad Plus members like New Zealand, South Korea and Vietnam asking, well, you know, where does this mean? Does this mean that the Quad's going to be like now become Quad Lights? It's a security dialogue. The, quadri- the quadrilateral security dialogue is the, the broad term for the Quad. And so there are, there are questions being asked by commentators and those, those state actors asking, well, when was this, where's the Quad fit in the context of AUKUS. But as I've alluded to, it's about hemming all these things together. ANZUS, OSMIN, AUKUS, ASEAN, FIREBIOS, the QUAD. It's a plethora of instruments mm. at varying levels that I would argue are being hemmed together to, to counter the trajectory of China. And you could argue that the TPP was was in that equation too, but but um, and it was always strategic, but it didn't get, get through, of course. And just finally, the submarine aspect, I'm just wondering what your thoughts mm. are on that, because to me it seemed odd, the whole Malcolm Turnbull deal and the fact that the French design, I believe, was nuclear and then had to be modified to be diesel electric, and now we're going back to nuclear and we've shelved that deal, so that's cost us millions or even billions of dollars. Mm. Um, mm. But what do you make of all of that and does it seem appropriate for us to have nuclear submarines because isn't that what uh, other countries of the world seem to use relatively successfully? Yeah, well, not many do you have them, have nuclear um, submarines. But remember, there's a lot of arguments again in this one. Nuclear um, submarines... The argument from SCOMO and from Biden and that is, hey, these aren't; these are only powered powered by nuclear energy. They're, they're not; they don't have nuclear weapons. So I'm putting this in lay terms. My argument is, in terms of being concerned about this, and there's the other argument that, hey, these things can go out for elongated periods of time. They can be submerged for a long range, big big portion of time. They can go vast distances. They can move around quietly, that's the argument, but I've heard other arguments differ, differ to that. And they can really, they really um, can, we can meet our strategic objectives that the 2016 version uh, was not going to be able to, uh, able to adapt to, given the fact that China's militarization has really ramped up in the last 10 years and even more, more so last five years and etc. But the argument I have is, okay, well, this to me looks like a precursor. precursor. We, we may say it's nuclear power, but what's to say that we can't have have conventional weapons that one day they, we could have nuclear weapons on these submarines? Um, what's to say that this is a precursor for other militarized connections where the US could actually be wanting to put a small range of nuclear weapons in Darwin, which there has been discussions in DC over the last three to four to five years, Right, where, where people, you know, there are some, you know, proponents who would really love to have a, a suite of nuclear weapons pointed at China and Darwin. Now, do we really want to get involved in this? Now, I think that this is a first step potentially in that regard. And what does it say about our nuclear non-proliferation um, responsibilities? And the other one is, what does it also mean? Well, the United States insists that Australia permanently commit not to develop an indigenous uranium enrichment capability. I mean, does it mean that or are we eventually going to move that? Now, of course, the U.S. will supply it initially, but what's going to happen 18, you know, 30 months down the track, five, 10 years down the track? You know what I mean? I think this is a slippery slope. 
I think it's concerning. But at the same time, I'm vexed in this situation because I'm also thinking China, you know, China's assertions are, are problematic. Mm. And so and so I'm trying to manage it in my own head about how to get that balance because I think that there's problems when they have nuclear subs as a gateway and and I and, and and the slippery slope, but at the same time we can't sit by and think that China's, you know, this dormant rising giant like it was in two thousand and seven or eight. Mm. You know, it's the, the the dimensions of regional politics have changed immensely. Well, look, thanks for being on the program. We could probably sit here until 10 or even 11 o'clock talking about this for a lot of time. But, um, <laughs> Sorry. It's incredible. I could really, no, it's, I could really expand on a lot of those things, and, and I'm sorry if I expand no, on too much. not but, at all. But, um, um, hopefully we'll have you back on the... Because um, as you keep saying, with all of these actors and China and the way it's all going and the regional trajectory, um, I think there'll be a lot of things to talk about. So we'll hopefully have you back on the program at some point course, in the future. But appreciate it very much. Anytime. Dr. Aidan Warren there from uh, RMIT talking about the situation and there's so many different aspects of that AUKUS deal to unpack. In fact, probably more than what I realised initially. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.